Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Today's podcast is brought to you by Amazon Prime Video, presenting The Romanoffs, an original limited series from Matthew Weiner, the creator of Mad Men. The contemporary anthology features eight globe-spanning stories about one shared royal bloodline, starring Aaron Eckhart, Christina Hendricks, Catherine Hahn, Isabel Huppert, Diane Lane, John Slattery, and more. Episodes are available to Guild members for consideration at consideramazon.com. Hi, welcome to Remote Control, the Variety's TV podcast. I'm Daniel Holloway. On today's episode, we talk with Richard Madden, star of Netflix's The Bodyguard. Madden plays police sergeant David Budd, who is charged with protecting the Home Secretary in Jed Mercurio's six-part thriller. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to Remote Controlled Variety's television podcast. I'm Danielle Terciano, featured editor in television here at Variety. And today joining us on the podcast is Richard Madden, the star of The Bodyguard. Welcome, Richard. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. So I want to jump right in with... um, the character, because he he's not what we in America are typically used to as like an action hero in the sense that he is very emotional at the beginning. And it's kind of I feel like it's kind of nice to see multiple sides of this guy right at the top. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about if that was part of the draw of the character and also how you kind of wrapped your head around who he was and why he gets so invested right from the start. Um, I suppose what's quite interesting is how we shot that sequence because due to filming and things going wrong, we ended up shooting that sequence, the opening sequence, at the very end of filming. So it was the last thing I shot. So I knew what the audience were going to see in episode one, which is a man who's very closed off and you tend to don't get to tap into him very much. So I knew that we had an opportunity with that opening sequence to kind of see really inside this this man and see these vulnerabilities and see a man, man, uh, you know, a kind of a hero character in a way living through a situation that's, that shows his anxiety, shows his, his fear and, and terror that he's, he's living. Um, and that's what was really kind of great was to show that side and then be able to go back to, to what he does best, which is not showing anything. How much research did you feel like you had to do to understand the PTSD side of the character? Um, a lot. I had to do as much as I can. One of the big problems with PTSD is that people don't want to talk about it. Um, and so it's quite hard to get information on it, but I think I did my best with it. And I was I was interested in portraying it in a way that we don't usually get to see, I think, in a lot of movies and television. We see PTSD as this, you know, someone closes a door too loud or a car backfires and and our subject suddenly is transported back to Afghanistan. We're in the middle of this fighting, and men are dying. And that's not, you know, uh, you know that that does happen. Part of sometimes of PTSD with people, they have flashbacks like that. But that's not the only thing that mm-hmm. happens. And that's there's the other elements that are not conveyed so well, I think, in television and film. So I was 
interested in bringing those other elements that show the daily struggle, mm-hmm. which can be really deep anxiety and depression and, and these things that, that come with that disorder. And you mentioned um, that there was, you know, there's not a lot of people like to talk about it, not just on television, obviously, in, in life as well. What was the balance that you wanted to find for how much he showed it to other characters, his wife, mm. for example, his ex-wife, and to the audience when he's alone? Yeah, well, that's what I was interested in. That's what made it so interesting for me is, is the character in denial of his PTSD and, and trying to hold it back from from everyone around him, particularly his loved ones. And, and although we don't get to talk about it so much, but we get to see the effect that it's obviously had on his life and his marriage. Hence, you know, why they're maybe not, they're not together anymore is because this has had such a big effect and him constantly fighting this battle without actually ever head on approaching it like he does with every other aspect of his life. He goes straight in and deals with it. This is his big kind of, you know, the big thing he avoids. Mm-hmm. There's also a, a little bit of a playing with, I think, how much we can trust him at certain points in the show. What was important to you about how to show all the way, maybe all the way through, carry the thread that, yeah, you can trust him even when the story is trying to tell you you can't. Yeah, well, that's what, that's what I really enjoyed playing with, was this ambiguity, this gray zone of him. And I think... You know, I, I really played with that in the first few episodes of of questioning my own motives. So the audience are hopefully questioning them too. Is he good? Is he bad? What's he doing this for? What's what's behind that? So I really enjoyed playing with that. And I think, you know, again, that was something that the whole show does with every character is in a grey zone. No one's black or white good. Um, and that kind of keeps on all the way through the show. Um, and that's really something that's quite exciting to play with because you can... You're not tricking the audience, but you're playing with their perceptions. Mm-hmm. So I can play against and I can play, you know, for something. And, and one of the things we did during shooting was we'd shoot every scene the way the way that we'd shoot it, in the way that it would be cut. And then we'd slam the camera right up in my face and do a take, which was just all inside my head. So I could play these scenes without giving anything away, mm-hmm. knowing that I'd have this last take where I'd give everything away, mm-hmm. you know, the extreme heightened version of it. Um, and then and then that gives the director and the editor something to cut between if we want to show how much we want to show. What is that? I mean, how does that affect what you're doing on the day of production? I mean, do you find that you, your demeanor, your physicality has to change drastically from that first take to that last take? Yeah, it does actually. And also, and, it, and it's, it's, it's scary because some scenes we, we never use that edit, the cut mm-hmm. to of him at the end. So you've maybe given nothing away and... Uh, and actually you wanted to give something away um, and then that doesn't make the cut or or the other end where you've kind of you've really given a lot away uh, and then it's up to the editor and the director to kind of interpret that and decide how much they want to show the audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, the show deals with a lot of uh, politics, obviously, but it also deals with terrorism threats. Mm-hmm. And it's there are a lot of action sequences in addition to all these really emotional moments. Yeah. Which of the two, I mean, do you find one more challenging than the other when you're, when you're shooting in this style? Good question. Um, one more challenge than the other. They're just both such different beasts. You know, trying to get the physicality right of someone who's a professional bodyguard and, uh, and has been in the army for many years, trying to get that physicality right in these action sequences and do that so it's believable um, is a completely different challenge. And then I suppose in lots of ways it was a great relief playing the more emotional scenes 
because this character spends so much time covering his emotions or holding them in that it also felt very unnatural in these scenes to kind of go to these places where he kind of breaks down or, or the mask comes off because it's so against everything in his being. But that's what's so good is that it's just, it's got to the point in his life that it's bursting out of him, all mm-hmm. these things that he's pushed out. Was there a particular scene that, that when you read it, you felt like this is going to be the hardest one to do and then when you actually did it, it was a lot more rewarding than you expected? I suppose I thought the the scene where my where my friend shoots himself in the mm-hmm. face, I thought that would be much easier to deal with than actually what it turned out to be when I was filming it because you know you read something like that and you understand it and they're kind of they're not friends they're not that close right. anymore but they are but they're not but actually on the day it happening I was kind of looking at David's looking at what what his path could be. And then we get to episode four and we see where he goes with with that path, mm-hmm. actually. And I think that was something that hit me a lot more on the day of of watching someone give up, you know, when in the, someone who's been in the same position as you and gone through everything you've gone through. And he um, he gives up, he puts an end to it. And I think that's that hit me as, as an actor playing the character a lot more that this moment was someone giving up and that he sees himself in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you mentioned episode four, obviously, where, I mean, David attempts suicide. So tell me a little bit about what that scene felt like and, and what you needed on set to feel safe to do those yeah. actions. That was really difficult scene to shoot um, because just from what I'm understanding of where people are with that, in order to to take your own life, you've got to be in such a such a bad place that what I played on um, and what the editing picked up, which I quite like, is that David just feels everyone will be better off if he's not there. This is is less about him not wanting to be there, which is a huge thing, but more that actually everyone is going to be better off. And the big thing that's holding him back from from doing it is his two children. Mm -hmm. And eventually in my thought process of doing that scene was... That's what, that was the, the, the catalyst to make me actually pull the trigger was, was for them. Mm. I wanted to not be there because I think their lives would be better if I'm not in it. And that's how kind of low the character is at that point, which is quite a difficult thing to kind of, to wrap your head around mm-hmm. and to be in that place. But that's what I went for. Do you feel like you need different things on set than those types of scenes? Um, no, it's just down to you. Oh, Okay. It's just down to you and it's down to hopefully a little kind of mutual respect of everyone who's in the room with you shooting it that, you know, maybe we don't have your cell phones on or, or sure. stuff like <laughs> Maybe let's just kind of keep a little bit of respect for, for that zone and, and my, my crew and all that are so good at that and so, uh, you know, so aware of that mm-hmm. um, that it, it leaves me a space to kind of go into that quite dark moment because we're not laughing and joking or discussing the spaghetti bolognese we had at lunch. <laughs> I mean, but then, at, you know, at the same time, in the events after that, when he does not succeed, when he realizes, hey, there's blanks in this gun, someone's out to get me, basically. Mm. Um, how, what did you feel it was most important to show how he picked himself back up? And because he really went full force yeah. in those last few episodes to get to the bottom of what was happening. Mm. Well, that's what draws him. That's what keeps him living, actually. That's what was so interesting. You go from a man who's tried to kill himself, who, who, who went through with it, who thought he was killing well, yeah. himself is then thrust into a position of he's got a bomb strapped to him and you can just let go and he will be dead. 
and actually he's now he's fighting for life, fighting to stay alive because of what he believes in and this kind of, you know, trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. So that's quite strange. You have to do a full turnaround from... Because really, you could just let it go and be like, you know, I'm out of here. This, this is done. But then we wouldn't have had a six-part series. True. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, and from a character's perspective, everything would have been pinned on him and maybe the yeah. lives of his family would not have been yeah. as great as he had hoped, you know. And he's got this thing, and this thing that... It's kind of like the um, knight in shining armor mm. syndrome of him wanting to be this this hero and this good guy and and if he looks after you know this woman this damsel in distress if he can he can survive her and she's intact then he'll be fine and he'll be intact um, and that's obviously not not how it works in terms of psychology or in terms of of him um, so he's constantly kind of fighting with that and that at the end him having to kind of get his honor back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the only thing that keeps him alive is that you know the knight in shining armor he has to be I mean you mentioned Julia obviously just now without saying her name but I'm going to say her name um, he's obviously he's tasked with protecting her they get very close closer than they should yeah um, tell me a little bit about how you and Keeley worked on the relationship and kind of evolving the relationship as those episodes went on We'd never worked together before met each other and um and just are instantly thrust into this kind of this this relationship as as actors and and characters and the two characters are very independent people um and very lonely people and I think what was interesting is is putting me and Keely in there you know kind of strong independent characters that are lonely and grasping for something in the dark. And that's kind of what it's like any time you start an acting job. You know, you're kind of there, you're by yourself and you're thrust into uh, into surviving. And so I suppose we kind of did that together mm. um, on this because these are two characters that, you know, for all the reasons they shouldn't be together and then for every reason on paper you go, all right, it makes complete sense that these two would find each other in the darkness. Mm-hmm. We'll be back with more from Richard Madden in just a moment. Today's podcast is brought to you by Amazon Prime Video, presenting The Romanovs, an original limited series from Matthew Weiner, the creator of Mad Men. The contemporary anthology features eight globe-spanning stories about one shared royal bloodline. The Romanovs stars Marta Keller, Ron Livingston, Amanda Peet, Andrew Reynolds, Paul Reiser, Corey Stoll, Noah Wiley, and more. Episodes are available to Guild members for consideration at consideramazon.com. Now back with more from Richard Madden. How important do you feel the politics of the character of, of Julia's character were to David and how important are they to you to take on roles where you're putting something positive into the world? Um, I think to David, they were, you know, hugely important. I mean, he, he kind of blames people like her mm-hmm. and then looked at it and kind of went directly blames her for the fact that his feet were on the ground in Afghanistan and Iraq. Mm-hmm. He, he blames her for that. So that's kind of that's what's so clever of Jed's kind of writing is is putting you in a position where my whole being, my literally my life is on the line for someone who I actually would like to see dead, <laughs> uh, and that kind of thrusts us into this really strange dynamic, where I think David doesn't know where his loyalties lie, although he knows he has to protect her, he hates her as well. So it kind of gets very confusing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he is a soldier first, so he obviously puts his task first. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you feel similarly? Like, do you feel like 
you're putting the acting first. You don't necessarily have to agree personally with the message. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, it's a fictionalized drama. Yeah. So kind of not doing that, and yeah, the kind of uh, the playing the part as honestly as, as as I can is what's important. Okay. Um, when we think about how big the show has gotten just in the few months since it's come out, like it's it's really something that people all over the world have started watching. Are you surprised by the the response? Or did you kind of expect yeah. some of the people who watched you on Game of Thrones, Medici, to follow you? Like, what has been your life since the show has I come out? I did not expect this many people to watch it, um, particularly when it started in the UK and and the and the viewing figures went up week by week. You know, I'm not used to that. Usually, a show comes on and it goes down a little bit. <laughs> And ours just went up and up until we were nearly double by the end, which seems really strange. And people were watching TV live again because mm-hmm. it went out weekly in the UK. So all these kind of different things are really overwhelming and and really encouraging because, you know, there's 160-something crew on this job and we all worked really, really hard for it under grueling conditions because, you know, that's the the nature of of making TV shows that don't have huge budgets and we don't have a lot of time or money to kind of make them happen. And then you do these things and they come out and people go, yeah, it's two stars, it's all right, yeah, it's fine, yeah, maybe watch it, maybe don't. I didn't get to the end of it, you know. <laughs> and you're like, God, that, you know, took so much out mm-hmm. of so many people, just hours of our lives. And then this show comes out and people really love it and it's such a great payoff for everything that so many people kind of give up in, in terms of making a show like this. And then people have really loved it. Um, and then for it to travel across the water has been uh, overwhelming and strange, but I'm thrilled that people have tuned into it. What do you, do you attribute that to? I mean, is there something specific you think people are grabbing at this moment? I don't know. I wish I knew because then I'd just kind of go and kind of do that with every film or TV <laughs> show I did and be like, yeah, here we go. Uh, I don't really know. I really have no idea. I suppose maybe, I don't know, the things that I like about it that maybe we don't get to see is is this this the leading man this hero character with all these these flaws and not ash- not ashamed to engage in them i mean from me as an actor mm-hmm. in terms of us showing those bits of the character and things like you know at the end of all of this thriller and this wonderful thing this crazy journey to see that lead that that hero you know literally ask for help i think that is like a really good different thing and that kind of sets up the tone for what the whole show is is we don't know what to expect everyone's got good or bad in them and we're going to you know push those buttons and lead you down different paths all the way through it and um and maybe that's what people have enjoyed i don't know also it's, it's quite a fun show you know for all its anxiety and <laughs> right. stuff it's, it's a lot of fun I mean, it's it a is, good ride yeah it's still i mean it is an action film there's yeah. you know still a lot of surprises and twists i would say yeah. around pretty much every episode um, was there anything that you feel like when you were reading the scripts you didn't see coming? Hmm. I didn't see any of it coming, to be fair. I mean, that's what I was so enjoyable about reading it as, as I went. I was going, okay, right, we're going here, we're doing this, we're doing that. Uh, yeah, it was just, I mean, I was just trying to survive while doing it. So you were just like, and, and I was enjoying not knowing exactly what was going to happen. or And I put off letting them tell me like who done it till as late as I could so that I can run about episodes four and five and and be chasing down what the story is without actually knowing where it's going to mm-hmm. go it makes it more interesting for me 
I mean, and it's also, I mean, David wouldn't know. No, so David wouldn't probably know. can't have too much information too soon. Yeah, because it you keeps risk. your... Everyone's a suspect. Though. Right. Um, do you feel like at this stage in your career you want to draw threads between your characters at all? No. No, I suppose the opposite of that. Um, I want to I want to keep doing things that are that are different. I think when you do something and it's successful and people like it, what happens is, you know, you can end up doing lots of things just like that because people watch you doing it and they say, oh, you can do that and we like you doing that, so do more of that. And I think you have to kind of really make a conscious effort to not do that, otherwise you can end up doing that your whole career, um, which which may be what you end up doing. i just rather not do that mm-hmm. um, initially and that's why I'm trying to, trying to mix it up and not draw like go the other way I think in many ways I've played different versions of Romeo for about 10 years I mean I've literally played him <laughs> twice right but so uh, and all these characters I've done have these parallels to him in different ways and and I'm kind of enjoying going into you know my 30s now and and, and being different roles to that I think I've put, I can I can leave that David Bud's got two kids he's a kind yeah. of damaged war veteran or but this film I've just finished, uh, Rocket Man, mm-hmm. uh, which is the Elton John biopic, to mm-hmm. play a bit of a villain character actually, and then on top of that, like I'm singing and dancing, which is not my natural go-to place. <laughs> I don't think I'll be doing many more musicals after <laughs> this one, um, but it's an exciting, different thing to do. So yeah, I'm kind of trying to keep mixing it up and not not pull threads between them, mm-hmm. but um, but cut them, I suppose. And it's interesting because a lot of your projects are period pieces. Not necessarily the bodyguard, but I mean Game of Thrones in a way, Medici, yeah, Rocket Man, seventies, eighties, yeah. Is there something? I mean, is there something specific you like about being able to immerse yourself in not just a different person, but a different world? Hmm. Um, I know I like the costumes a lot. They're great. I wore some killer suits in Rocket Man, killer suits in Cuban heels, um, <laughs> which were really great to do. Um, I don't really know. It's never. I've never been a deliberate like I'm going to mm. go in and do this period thing, and that's never kind of crossed my mind. I suppose it's just the things that I've been drawn to, and and these kind of different worlds that we've that I've been in that we've created is quite an exciting place to be. It's kind of freeing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mentioned Game of Thrones, so you know, obviously fans of of that show have had a strong reaction to your final episode for years. Do you feel like now that? that people are watching The Bodyguard and they, they're attaching to David as well. Are people responding similarly or just as emotionally to, I mean, obviously, spoiler alert, he doesn't die. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, in the sense of the things that he goes through and, and the, the trauma that he is experiencing. Yeah, yeah. People are really engaged with me on on Bodyguard, which is interesting. And people kind of, I don't know, heartbroken for this man. Um, and, and where he is, or where he was in his life mm-hmm. in this period. Um, I suppose nothing's going to be the same as the reaction to the Rob Stark death, <laughs> um, which is a great way to die. Uh, and a lot of people are still very heartbroken by that. And new people find it all the time. So yeah. do you feel like people are still coming up to you, like first-time watchers, yeah, recognizing first time you from watchers that? Yeah, first-time watchers being like, I just watched it. And like, I just, people will be like, I just watched it three nights ago. And you're like, where have you been for 10 years? This show's been, you know, it's been around. But right. also, like, amazing that it's not been spoiled for you. Because, yeah. Because, you know, lots of people know that's what happened. I mean, since I have you here, I have to ask, like, how do you feel about that show ending? I mean, is there something you want to see specifically before it ends? No, there's nothing I want to see. I'm, I'm thrilled for 
I'm thrilled for them to kind of be coming to the end of this great story and I think they've done it so well in terms of the amount of time we've had Game of Thrones and we're sitting with it. I think it's great to come to a, a great end on this and not run it out for another five years as much as I could watch another five years of it. You know, I think it's great to, to kind of come to a nice end now and tie it up and I can't wait to see what they're actually doing with it. Um, and and just very much don't let my friends who are still in it tell me anything about it. <laughs> Which they're trained not to. Right, anyway. I was going to say, they can't do that. They can give you fake spoilers. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing what happens next. Where do you see the bodyguard going? Would you do as many seasons? Uh, what, as many seasons as Game of Thrones ran yeah. for? Well, like or, well, as many as you were in Game of Thrones. Let's Three put seasons. it that way. <laughs> Three seasons? Three, ten, however many you want to do. Um... I don't know. I think it would just depend on the on the storylines. I'm meeting up with Jed in a couple of weeks, and and we're going to chat. I mean, he's a genius, so um, I'll see what he's got in his wonderful mind for for the bodyguard. I'm not sure. I, I mean, I'm not a writer, so I don't know where you take this story, mm. where you go next with it. But I'm sure Jed's got some some wonderful ideas, and then I can't wait to sit down with him and have a chat. Do you feel like if it does not go further, if this if it ends up becoming a one season limited series in a sense, are you happy with? where he ended, do you feel like there's closure yeah. for David? Yeah, I'd be happy. I'd be happy with that as well because it's a lovely contained piece. We never intended to do more series of it. Um, and I love this contained story. I mean, it's just over six hours worth of television. It's a really great way to show this this chapter of this man's life. Um, you know, I'd be happy for it to, to be left as that. And if there's another chapter of his life that the, the writer wants to show, then and it's a story worth telling, then, you know, that'd be something really exciting too. Okay. And when you look at, you know, overall the platform that you have as an actor, as a public figure, what do you feel like today is the most important aspect of how you use it? Good question. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably quite useless at using it. <laughs> I don't really know how to, to use it. Um, I don't know, but there's different things that are, that are useful of coming from successes of different shows. Like if I do a student movie mm. um, and that can go out and then a lot more people will see this director's work than would have if, if I'd not done it. So that's, that can be really, really useful. Um, but yeah, I don't really know how to use it. I just, I just keep trying to do the acting thing. I mean, that's pretty important. I don't, I'm not trying to discount that. Like that's what we need you to do so that we have these shows. Mm. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode talking with actor Diego Luna. And if you like this show, I'd appreciate it if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Let us know, too, who you'd want to hear from. What stars and producers should we invite on the show? Email us at podcasts at variety.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by Amazon Prime Video, presenting The Romanoffs, an original limited series from Matthew Weiner, the creator of Mad Men. The contemporary anthology features eight globe-spanning stories about one shared royal bloodline. The Romanoffs stars Carrie Bechet, Juan Pablo Castaneda, J.R. Ferguson, Jack Houston, Rada Mitchell, Hugh Skinner, and more. Episodes are available to Guild members for consideration at consideramazon.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. 
Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.